today's reading is Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to the end, and it's on page 982 of the Church Blue Bibles, if you'd like to follow it. I'll just give you a minute. That's Luke 9, 51 to the end. Samaritan opposition. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village, the cost of following Jesus. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, First let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. So let's pray. Lord God, clear our hearts and minds so that through your word we can grow closer to you and respond in the way that you desire us to. Amen. Now, before we get into the sermon, I just, um, this is the first time I've ever been let loose on a proper grown up sermon. So I've had to try really hard not to go childlike. Um, which is quite a challenge for me. Um, but before we start, can I just say, if you've got a mobile phone with you, this is possibly the one time that you'll ever be asked to do this, can you get it out and hold it in your hand because you're going to need them later in the sermon? So just hold it for me. Fab, thank you. Okay, right. Now, I am in danger of starting this by looking a bit, a bit of a, I think... My kids would say I'm a bit of a goon. I love a list, okay? I love lists, partly because you can write them in new stationery books with nice pens, and it makes me feel good, and it makes me feel organised. But I do love lists. I have lists on the go all the time for loads and loads of different things. I have birthday, and I've even started a Christmas list. Be impressed. Um, I'm nowhere near finishing it, but I've got a Christmas list. Um, I've got lists for shopping. That's quite normal. I would have thought most of us probably have lists for shopping. Um, I have lists for jobs that need doing at home. I've even got a naturally supernatural list at the moment. Um, and I've got lists for work. But I don't just have one list for work. Oh, no. I have three lists for work. The first one is the stuff that's really urgent and needs doing before the end of the week. 
The second one is things I'd like to week, but may well not, but hopefully. And the third is the blue sky stuff, the stuff I'd like to do if ever there was more time. So I have a lot of lists. Sometimes things can move up the lists as well. Sometimes they can start at the bottom of a list, especially the work ones, because in January, your summer plans don't really figure that importantly. But after Easter, they kind of go into the slightly more urgent, and by now, they're in the top of the I-really-must-get-this-done list. But one thing I realised a long time ago was that I never actually get to the bottom of a list. I've never yet crossed everything off on the list and thrown that list away because I've finished it. I think things seem to get added to the bottom of whatever list, and then they gradually stay there. So the crossing off does happen, but not as quickly as the adding on seems to happen. I think it's fair to say my heart and my head are willing, but um, my motivation, stamina, energy, time, all sorts of distractions get... And David, my husband, is much the same. It's maybe why we're together. He's a starter rather than a finisher. Um, I'm sure quite a lot of you will have seen recently on Facebook some of our posts about decorating our house. We started in the dining room probably a couple of months ago, um, and that started. We've got most of the stuff back in. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, we started on the kitchen. Now, obviously, neither of us are decorators, and I think I'm glad Vince isn't here. Um, but these of us are decorators. So our theory on decorating is that you pick up everything in the room that you're decorating that moves and you put it somewhere that then becomes known as the heap. I don't know if any of you have heaps, but we have a heap. So for the kitchen, which obviously has a lot of clutter, well, our kitchen does, you may be better than me, but our kitchen has a lot of clutter. So everything got picked up that could move. Can I just say, my husband started painting the walls while I was still emptying, but we, so we picked up, all the clutter got picked up and put out in what the bit of our house that is known as David's Back Passage. Now, may I establish at this moment that David's Back Passage is kind of like a hall, really, a kind of a, a space at the back of the house that the kids, when you have boy children, you'll know that toilet humour focuses largely in their life, and, you know, they don't seem to grow out of it. So, anyway, it became known as David's... Uh, or is known as David's Back Passage. But it's really just a kind of a hall, uh, man-shed, cave-type thing, where all of his little midlife crises have developed over the years. So, we've got several guitars out there. In fact, quite a lot of guitars. I've lost count, actually. And we've got bikes and all sorts of accessories for bikes that you wouldn't even... I didn't even know existed. Um, we have this, uh, and on top of the guitars and bikes and all associated paraphernalia, we now have this heap of kitchen stuff. And of course, I felt it was important whilst doing this to empty some of the cupboards as well, because clearly, why not add even more to the heap? So the heap became bigger, especially, and the thing that I've really found that made it a real mess was all those Tupperware boxes, all those plastic boxes with the lids that don't fit, that you can't match up. You know, that you've got, I had two cupboards worth of. You can never be too short, can you? So they're all out there as well. So the heap is quite big at this point. So back to the decorating. We, on the Friday night, Oliver came for work, and he said, I'll start. So, marvellous child, he did start painting, didn't he, while I was cooking dinner in the kitchen. Um, 
You may even have seen a picture of him on top of a cupboard. Yes, bless him. Um, so anyway, so we started painting the kitchen, and it was done. We did a coat Friday night, and then a bit more Saturday, and it was done. So literally, as the last roller bits going up the wall, my husband says, "Oh, it's finishing touches now. Over to you." He's very much like me, a starter and not a finisher. At that point, the kitchen was brushes, ladders, paint, all sorts of stuff that really we didn't need to do have there. But David and myself, if I'm honest, both well-intentioned, it was well-meant, we were willing. But to be fair, actually quite a lot of us fall into this group, don't we, that we start on projects with a really good intention, a really good willingness to see it through, bit like my lists. We really want to get to the end of the project, but something else comes along, doesn't it? Something else that's a bit more urgent or a bit more exciting, possibly even. We get distracted by all sorts of stuff, don't we? It's fair to say I will probably still be sorting out the heap in about another month or so. It's certainly still in full force at the moment. It's quite good, though, in the sense that if the kids say, where is something, you can then go and tell them to look in the heap for it. So let's go back to today's Bible passage, where Jesus is walking along the road to Jerusalem with some disciples, and he's approached by these men. I'm assuming they're men. It doesn't actually say. The three blokes all want to follow Jesus. So you'd think it should be fairly simple and fairly straightforward, wouldn't you? You'd expect, if someone says to Jesus, I want to follow you, wouldn't you expect Jesus to open his arms and say, welcome, come with me? I kind of think I would. But actually, Jesus doesn't. In fact, his teaching is almost quite harsh, and Jesus isn't mincing his words here, is he? If we think about the first man, we've got no reason to think he's anything other than severe. Sorry, anything other than sincere. But Jesus responds quite negatively. I think Jesus is actually warning the man, and us too probably, that following Jesus is no easy job. Being a worker for Jesus, a servant of Jesus, is actually a tough job. Jesus makes it clear to him he won't be stopping in five-star hotels. He won't be eating Michelin-starred restaurants. And they won't even stay in one place long enough for him to have a proper home. Jesus is... Jesus' enthusiasm is for spreading the, the word, is for spreading the kingdom of God. It's not for having a nice home and a nice garden and a nice car. Personally, I'd really struggle with not having the home part. That's the bit that really struck with me. Because at the end of a day or a week or whatever, I like having my comfortable home, albeit in whatever state it is. I like being able to retreat to my home. So I would find that personally really challenging. And then the second man, Jesus again seems really harsh and tells the man to come straight away and not to bury his dead father. Leave that to the dead. But actually, when we think about this a bit more, we know that people that died would be buried very quickly. So actually, if the man had just died, surely the man would have... If the man's husband... Sorry, the man's father had just died, surely he would be busy with his family preparing for the burial. If the man was very sick or sick, wouldn't he go to Jesus asking for healing? So actually, the man's father could well be very well and nowhere near death. And actually, he could be asking for quite a long leave of absence. 
Jesus is instilling a sense of urgency with him and within us to understand the urgency for his mission. Jesus calls us to spread good news and grow his kingdom now, not when our schedules or we have diary time spare to do it. Jesus wants us now. Reason to doubt that Jesus is anything other than caring because he did all those healing miracles. He looked after people that were grieving. So we've no reason to think that Jesus doesn't care. It's just that Jesus is trying to tell us that actually the important bit is now. While we might not use the same excuse as this man, I'm sure many of us do fall into the same group. Jesus, I'll follow you more when I've got a bit more time. Jesus, I'll follow you more when my children sleep at night and I'm more alert in the day. I certainly Oliver. Jesus, I'll follow you more once I'm through this busy spell at work. Jesus, I'll follow you more and I'll do something for you when I finish that round of golf. Jesus, I'm really busy at work at the moment. In a couple of months, I'll have more free time for you. Some of those certainly strike a chord with me. Maybe not the golf course. But what about the final man? He too says he'll follow Jesus. But he just wants to say goodbye to his family first. Well, that's not really too much to ask, is it? But Jesus uses that to use us, tell, teach us about looking back. And actually, we can't keep looking back. We need to be looking to the future. We need to be looking forward. I think the crucial bit in that sentence is when the man says, but. But. Have you ever listened to the word but? When you put it in a sentence, it often negates the bit that you say first. So, for instance, if I ask someone, that's a lovely dress you're wearing, but have they got it in blue instead? That immediately makes you think they don't like the dress in the colour you're wearing, and it makes the next part sound the positive. What about if you say to someone, do you know, you did that really well, but next time, why don't you try doing it that way? What does it say to people? It says... You did it okay, but actually I could do it. One of the, my husband loves chilli when he cooks. So one of the things we often have at home is, that was really nice, but could we have it with less chilli next time? But it's really saying to him, isn't it? We didn't like what you cooked. I'm trying to take that one on board. Do you get the picture? It negates, doesn't it? We're being negative about the first bit and making the emphasis on the start. I'll follow you, Jesus, but first I have to ensure my family will be okay. The second thought is going to Jesus. It's not his family. So, who's got a mobile phone in their hand still? Has anyone been tempted to open it? On, I'm not going to ask you to own up. But have you, has anyone looked to see if they've got a message or what Facebook is up to? Or Don't worry, I'm not expecting you to put your hand up. But did you know that the average person checks their phone 110 times a day? That's about nine times an hour. 50% of children admit to being addicted to their phones. 84% of adult mobile phone users think they couldn't last a day without their phone. 
So how does that tie into today? Well, I think this passage is about distraction, and I think mobile phones are probably one of the biggest distractions we have these days. How often do you see people... I was watching a bit of Glastonbury yes, last, yesterday evening, and all these people were filming it on their phones. And I thought, great, they've got that as a memory. But do you really get the same atmosphere if you're busy looking at what you're filming? Don't know that you do. And sometimes I think memories are better when they're remembered in your hearts and in your heads rather than on a screen. I'm not saying don't ever video anything because I think that is important, but sometimes I think you just need to think about how distracted we get. I am queen of the distractions. I have had a particularly week we've been distracted. No particular idea why. Nothing on my mind, but... I just haven't been able to concentrate on anything. I've sat at the desk for five minutes, I've sat at the desk for two hours. And to be perfectly frank, my output has been pretty little. I've got a pretty tidy house, though, because I've been distracted. And I am no domestic goddess. So, what's in this passage for us today? We take away and put into our practical lives day by day. I think, first of all, remember that God is the master architect. He created us all for a different purpose. All of us in this room have different purposes. But God created all of us with that in mind. Some people will sometimes shy away from God's plan for them. Others might test the water before they make their decision, while others of us will jump fully in and follow God without a second thought. Serving God and sharing the good news isn't just for a few selected Christians. It's for all of us that are real Christians, that are disciples of God. If we truly believe in Christ, then surely we should be asking, what is my mission? What is God asking me to do? We need to be doing that without any distractions and anything getting in the way. My only proviso on that is just sometimes be careful what you pray for. Because let's be honest, sometimes we're called to stuff that really we don't want to be called to, aren't we? Is anyone, maybe I'm the only one here, but sometimes we get called to stuff that we actually think, whoa, I can't do that. I can't stand up and speak properly to adults. I can do kids, but I can't do adults. We're called to stuff all the time that God might think is a bit uncomfortable for, uh, for us, but actually God knows that we can do it, and God wants us to do it. I mean... I realised the other day that actually a lot of people haven't been here as long as I have, and people probably don't know how I come to be standing here now. Frankly, I'm not quite sure how I come to be standing here now quite a lot of the time. Um, the only thing I've ever been trained for in life is to be a paediatric nurse. I've not got any, any training for anything else. I can't do anything else if you look at training. I mean, who would employ a paediatric nurse to run a building like this when it was brand new, when we didn't know anybody? But God has it in his hands, and we don't need to worry about that bit. The brave bit for us is not getting distracted and is following what Jesus wants us to do. I was thinking about the example of family fun mornings, and if I'm really honest, I thought I'd start family fun mornings, which are 
mornings in the holiday we have where we have a big group of or a group of children coming with their families just to do craft or toys or whatever. And I started it, if I'm honest, when I was administrator here because I thought I need a way to bring my children to work with me in the week sometimes in the holiday so that I'm not reliant on my parents five days a week. But I need to make it look like I'm doing work rather than just playing with the kids. So, yeah, that's the honest bit. So, my kids were one and four when, here, when this place opened, so that's how it started. So, I thought I'd have a family fun morning. I'd bring a, ask another few families along. All would be well. I thought, you know, 15, 20 would be lovely. Yeah, that first one was 25, 30. And God certainly had different plans in that since. I thought I was in control, but God clearly had a different plan. I was a bit distracted. So God's put me in places that I wouldn't have thought I would have been in. Following Jesus isn't easy. It doesn't come with a guidebook that you can follow. It's a bit like being a parent, I think. You don't have a guidebook that says, do this, do that. But there are two things I can say with real certainty. The first one is never to try and second-guess God, because he'll always show you something different. But the other one is far more reassuring and is actually that you'll never be alone. As it was then and as it is now, things which compete for our time and serving God are around us all the time. But the goal is to move forward, to learn from the past and then leave it behind and push forward. I'm pretty sure Jesus is challenging me at the moment and putting different opportunities in front of me. And I suspect I'm probably not the only one in this room that is feeling a bit of a nudge from God. Certainly yesterday at the ordinations, the archbishop at the end said, if you'd feel a nudge, talk to someone. So I'd certainly say, if you feel a nudge to follow Jesus, to think about the cost of Jesus, certainly go and find prayer ministry at the end or share with Pauletta or myself. I'm going to finish by reading from which is a Bible of commentary sort of Bible, but put in modern language, and it translates um, this last, the passage today, beautifully, in my opinion. On the road, someone asked if he could go along. I'll go with you, wherever, he said. Jesus was curt. Are you ready to rough it? We're not staying in the best inn. Jesus said to another, follow me. Certainly, but first, excuse me for a couple of days, please. I have to make arrangements for my father's funeral. Jesus refused. First things first. Your business is life, not death. And life is urgent. Announce God's kingdom. Then another said, I'm ready to follow you, master. But first, excuse me while I get things straightened out at home. Jesus said, no procrastination, no backward looks. You can't put God's kingdom all off till tomorrow. Seize the day.